You know, names are kind of an interesting part of our lives. I've noticed that names kind of ebb and flow. I don't know if you've noticed that. You know, my, my grandmothers were named Effie and Ethel and Avis. I don't hear a lot of those names now. In the same way, I don't, I don't meet a lot of people in their 70s and 80s named Tiffany or Amber. You know, they, they, they sort of cycle around. I do know that, that names are important to us. You know, you, you can see that, and the uniqueness of names is important to us. You see that in the way people will tweak the spelling of a common name just a little bit. You know, they'll, they'll add this or take away that. and it, It's something, I think, that, that speaks to us about uniqueness, and I think it's, it's a good thing. I also know that names are, are more than just labels. You know, there's something about someone knowing your name that, that creates a spirit of, of closeness or intimacy with them. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's not. In the summer, we, we had to look for a new car. and We were going on a number of car lots, and you know, first thing when you walk on the lot, salesperson comes out, puts out their hand, Hi, I'm so-and-so, what's your name? Well, you know, some of the lots we went on, and I, we looked around quickly, and I'm thinking, we don't want to buy anything here. I don't want to tell him my name. Because the minute he knows my name, there's some kind of connection there, and it makes it harder to just say, well, we're not going to buy anything. There's something about the name that makes that bond, that connection, stronger. Now, the good thing about that is when we know each other's names, that connects us. And I'm always impressed, on the other hand, when, when people that I may have only met one time, and I see them again later, remember my name. It, it's, it's amazing to me. And especially if that person is somebody that I respect and admire, someone that I consider beyond me, above me, higher than me, in whatever form that may take. It's impressive when people remember your name. Well, you know, we're not the only ones who are concerned about names. God's concerned about names. You read through the pages of Scripture, and, and often God is doing something important in a person's life, something transformational. And what does he say? I'm going to change your name. He comes to expectant parents. And this child that they're, they're waiting to bring into the world has some special calling from God, and he says, look, here's the name I want you to give this child. St. John the Baptist, Jesus. But God isn't just concerned about our names. He's concerned about his name. You read through the pages of Scripture, and over and over again, God speaks to us about his name. He's concerned about how we use his name, how we treat his name, what his name means to us. I don't think we see that any more clearly than in the Ten Commandments. Of all the things that God could say to us that are boiled down to ten commands, of all those things, one of them is a command 
about God's name. The third commandment says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Or as many of us probably learned when we were younger, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God is concerned about his name. But then he adds an even heightened level of seriousness about it. He doesn't just say, don't misuse my name. He says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now that's serious. Uh, I don't think God is saying, if you misuse my name, that's it. You're done. Guilt overwhelms you. No, you, you can't get out of it. Punishment's yours. You're done. I don't think God does that with the, the sins that we commit. Unless we choose not to repent of them. But I think there is something about this, whether we understand exactly all that God means by that, what we do know is that this is something that God says is extremely serious. I would suspect far more serious than most of us realize most of the time. God says, how you treat my name has eternal consequences. And that causes us to step back and say, wow, I think we need to know what it means to misuse the name of God. I need to understand what God is saying to me about how I treat his name, what I do, what I don't do. And that's really the heart of what he's trying to tell us here. Now, when we talk about misusing God's name, taking God's name in vain, I think most of the time our minds immediately go to things that we say. And rightly so. You know, the way we speak God's name. Now, that typically comes out, I think, in a couple of ways. One is, and some people think this is the original intent of this command, but one way that comes out in our, in our words is swearing an oath in the name of God and then going back on our word. He's talking about, in some respects, perjury. I promise to tell the truth, and we don't. With God as my witness, this is what I'll do. I swear to God, this is what you'll get from me. And the next thing you know, that's not what we get from this. We, we go back on our word, even though we have declared that as God is our witness, and using God as our witness, we go back on it. And that's taking God's name in vain. Of course, don't think that just because you don't use God's name as an oath when you, when you make these promises that you're off the hook. You know, it doesn't matter what I, if I keep my word, as long as I don't bring God into it, then I'm okay. Not by any means. Now, Jesus has this discussion in the Sermon on the Mount and, you know, addresses this very issue because the religious leaders in Jerusalem are, are you know, saying that if you, if you swear by this, then you've got to keep your word. But if you swear by anything else, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, no, don't play those games. 
Just let your yes be yes and your no be no and move on. Keep your word. But we also take God's name in vain by using the name of God as an exclamation. And we tend to call that swearing. When we're surprised and God's name comes out of our mouth. When we're shocked or scared and God's name comes out of our mouth. When we don't know what else to say, God's name comes out of our mouth. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that people taking God's name in vain has risen significantly during my lifetime. Maybe I'm just more sensitive to it. Maybe I'm around people. I don't know what it is, or I hear it more. I think a lot of it comes from the media, television, movies, where it's, I mean, it's just common. But I don't think it's limited to people out there. I think it's an issue for people in the church, too. The Jewish people, especially centuries ago, but even some still today, had such a deep reverence for the name of God that they would not even say God's name. They wouldn't pronounce it. Even in the most spiritual religious settings, they wouldn't say it. We've gone to the other extreme. Where now God's name has become so common to us, we just say it all the time. And you hear it from people as an exclamation. It's the first thing that comes out of far too many people's mouths. And if you ask someone who says that, you know, do you realize you're taking God's name in vain? I would guess the response would be, well, I didn't mean anything by it. But that's the whole point. The whole point is, God's name has become so common to us, we don't mean anything by it when we use it. It's just a word, sort of like apple or tree or clock. We don't even think of it in in any kind of uncommon, set-apart way. And the concern that I think you see in Scripture, and the concern that you see in practice, is that what's coming out of our mouths is an indication of what's in our hearts. And if we use God's name frivolously, flippantly, lightly, there's a good chance that that's how we feel about God deep inside. In this this story from Matthew that we read a few moments ago, the Pharisees are all upset because disciples aren't washing their hands. And Jesus says, that's not the point. It's not what you put into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. And what comes out of your mouth is a revelation of what's living and breathing in your heart. And when we take God's name lightly, when God's name becomes common, just another word like any other word, it's a revelation of something troubling going on in our hearts. But I suspect that for most of us, maybe misusing God's name isn't an issue with our mouths as much as it is 
with our witness. Now, the word name that's, that's used here is a very common word, both in the Old and New Testaments, and, and it means reputation, character, personality. And we're not just talking about the word God. When we talk about God's name, we're talking about His reputation, His character. And we remember that these Ten Commandments are given to God's people who are God's representatives on this earth. And what people see in us is what they tend to think about God. And the onus for how we live in a way that doesn't profane God's name is not so much on people who don't have anything to do with God. It's on we who have committed ourselves to follow God. We're the ones who are commanded not to profane God's name. We're the ones who are commanded not to misuse God's name. And it's not just what we say, it's how we live, how we represent God in this world. And I think there are a number of ways that that we do that. I think one way that our our witness, our, our actions misrepresent God is when, when worship becomes for us hypocrisy. When we come together for worship and, and we sing and we pray and we read scripture and we do all the wonderful things that we do as a part of worship and then we go out the doors and we don't live any differently than we did before. We send a message to the rest of the world that meeting together in worship about God really doesn't change anything. When we're at home and we're reading our Bible and we're spending time in prayer and we have some great experiences with God and then we get up and we forget all of it and act like we never went through that, we profane God's name. We send a message to the rest of the world that, you know, it really isn't that important. I think it has to do with how we treat one another within the church. Does coming together for worship have any bearing on, on how we view each other and how we see each other? Does it create a spirit of unity in us? It will if our hearts are directed together to God. It won't if worship is really just about us. And we're just going through the motions, very perfunctory, and we go out and live the way we want to. I think, the, I think how we live after worship has a lot to do with how we treat people. And I think one of the other ways that we, that we profane God's name with our witness is giving people the, the false impression that God isn't all that concerned about the most needy people in our world. You know, the scriptures tell us again and again and again, God comes to his people and says, you need to take care of the most needy people among you. You have orphans, you have widows, you have physically impaired, you have children. You have people who need help. You better help them. 
And despite those warnings, it's so easy for us to ignore them. And um, you know, sometimes I don't know where these emails come from, but you know they come. And, and the uh, bold letters across the top of this email was, keep those people out. And, and I don't know what your feelings are about the whole immigration issue in the country. It's very complicated. You know, it's a tough line to walk between securing our borders and yet letting people come into our nation. But when I read that, you know, my, something made me feel very uncomfortable about that kind of mindset. You know, the sense of, we don't want those people here, whoever those people are. And what concerned me more than anything is that because this came from a Christian organization, at least in name, it concerned me that what if that attitude and that spirit wasn't just about our national borders, but was about the church and how we think about people outside the church walls. I mean, are we really about welcoming them in regardless of who they are or what they've done? But we want people to come to Jesus. Or, or do we have the mindset of, well, we want those people, kind of like them, but we don't want those people. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with them. Scriptures are clear. It's about everyone. I read recently about a church in the Atlanta area that's gone through a major transformation. And they have become, this church has become a melting pot of, of races and nationalities and colors. And, and it's an amazing thing. And and God is blessing them tremendously, but not without resistance. One of, the, one of the steps they took was to change the name of their church from, I believe, the Clarkston Baptist Church to Clarkston International Bible Church. And for some of the longtime members, that was the last straw. And, and they interviewed one of them who said, you know, this is ridiculous. I, I resent the fact that they've done this. I mean, why do we have to change for these foreign people? They ought to be changing for us. And I thought, wow. I mean, that, that's putting it out there. That's being very blatant. But we all know times when, maybe not with our words, but our attitudes, our thoughts, maybe we think the same thing. And we send a message to the rest of the world that, you know, if we don't care about people who are needy, God doesn't care about them either. We're God's representatives. And we're profaning His character and His reputation in this world. We ought to be people who, like Jesus, embrace the neediest ones. Who give them love and compassion. You know, if society ignores the neediest people, that's a bad thing. But when the church ignores them, it's doubly bad. Because not only do they not get the help that they need, they're also sent the message that God doesn't care. And we as representatives of God are called to represent Him as a God of love and compassion and character. There's a news article recently about a, about a movie 
uh, a movie set of a Tom Cruise movie in Berlin. And in the course of one of the scenes, they, some people were riding in the back of a truck with sides on it, and they turned a corner quickly, kind of a chase scene, and the, the side of the truck collapsed, and 11 people were, were tossed into the street, and some of them were seriously injured. And what intrigued me about this article was that the, a police spokesman made this comment that they had no, that no finding came to them to suggest that anyone famous was involved in the accident. Okay, I guess that pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? It's just about the famous people. And when the church takes that same mindset about whoever, you know, we're, we're defaming God's character. For God has called us to represent Him and to be His witnesses in this world. And I think, we, I think we profane God's name when we give the impression that God can't transform his people into the image of Christ. Human beings settle far too easily. You know, we, we get comfortable in our, in our lives with God, in our walk with him. And it's hard work when God wants to change us. And far too often, we simply settle for good enough. But God doesn't settle for good enough. God wants to transform us into the image of His Son. God wants to make us people who are free, not people who live in bondage. God wants us to be people who represent Him in the Spirit of Christ, not in our self-centeredness. And I think we hesitate to let God do that One, because we don't want to surrender ourselves to God. But sometimes we've come to the the belief that it's simply not in God's plan. That God couldn't do any more for me than he's done. I'm stuck in this rut. I'll never get out of it. And what we're saying is God isn't big enough to change it. And as John Oswald has said, All you have to do to profane the name of God is to make him appear little. When we make God appear small, we have profaned his character and his name. God isn't big enough to transform us. God isn't big enough to do miracles in this world and in our lives. That's what we're all about. It's the transforming power of God to do what no one else can do. To make us people we could have never dreamed possible through His grace and His power. The more I I think about this commandment, the more I I believe that it's, it's less and less about what God says don't do. And more and more focusing in on the one thing God wants us to do. And that is to make His name holy. To do what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Holy be Your name. 
set apart, uncommon be your name. And the way to move ourselves away from profaning God's name is to put into our minds the holiness of God. To turn our attention to who God is and to let him fill us and work in us. And that will mean, as we've been talking about through each of these commandments, that will mean that we have to surrender to God so that he can do his work in us. It will mean that we need to let God empty us so that he can fill us. It will mean that we focus our attention on God as more important than anything else in this world. That God is uncommon, set apart, the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we honor him and respect him and give ourselves to him. John Piper once asked his congregation, if, he said, if you, if you were to ask a businessman, who's the most important person in your life? And this businessman said, uh, I'd have to say that's probably my vice president for finance. Do you think his wife would be thrilled by that? Do you think she would say, wow, I am so important to him that, that he thinks of me sort of like the air that we breathe. I'm just there and he doesn't have to worry about it. No. I think she'd be saying, what's wrong with you? How come I'm not important enough to you that you think about me? Something's not right with our relationship. And I think God is saying to us in this command, who's the most important being in your life? It needs to be me. You need to see me as more important than anything, anyone else. Focus your attention on me. Give me your time and your energy and your effort. And hallow my name by putting me first. God calls us his people to be his representatives, the representatives of his character, of his reputation in this world. May God give us grace to hallow his name through our thoughts, and our words, and our actions. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive us for the times when we have misused your name, when we have taken your name lightly, when we have misrepresented you in this world. Make us people who see you as holy and uncommon and first priority. Make us people who live the words that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray as we say them together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 